Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Can I have just a couple minutes before we jump into the Word this morning to share a couple things and introduce you to a couple people? Thank you. Um, your silence is a yes. Um, one of the things that I get excited about more than almost anything else is when Jesus, when, when somebody gives Jesus their yes and steps into a new kind of ministry, just says, we want to share out of the, the highs and the lows of our life and, and minister to other people who may be walking through something that we've walked through. And we've got two groups that are getting ready to launch. I want to introduce you to the teams that are doing them. So, so Ray, would you, and Susan, would you come, and Wendy, would you come? And it's a long walk, especially for Wendy, that side of the building. So clap a lot so they know you're happy. So I'm going to let each of them just kind of share a little bit. <laughs> little bit. Little. Angela, why don't you come? No, just kidding. I will get your wife. All right. um, I'm, going to, I'm going to have them share a little bit about kind of what God put on their heart. But... Didn't take him long to start bossing me around. Um, and I'm, you're not wrong. So let's, let's start with Wendy. This is Wendy Culver. Say good morning, Wendy. Hi. Hello. So good. Okay. Um, so uh, for mm, over a year, I think God's been putting on my heart um, to uh, look into starting a group to support families and individuals with special needs and basically just kind of build a community here at Foursquare that could maybe be a beacon to the rest of Lompoc as well, signaling like we welcome you and Jesus welcomes you and we just want to open all doors and not let any obstacles hold anyone back. And I just, um, so we, on February 16th, on it's a Thursday evening at 6 p.m., we're going to have just basically a launch meeting. And um, there is no obligation at all. So we're not going to, like, pass around a sign-up and now you're locked in because we know that's one of the things about um, living with special needs or um, caring for someone with special needs is your calendar and your schedule um, can be very difficult to manage sometimes. And so we just want to get together, meet each other, and and just start building a community together, pray for each other, and then um, just ask, okay, how can we serve you? How can we as a group um, come alongside you? And I want to be clear that this is not for any particular disability, and this includes... Um, disabilities that are less visible, um, that anything that is uh, in your family or in your life that may be um, uh, kind of getting in your way of fellowship, um, we welcome you to come be a part of that, and includes anyone who has a heart um, who either serves, like in our schools, or um, just otherwise has a heart to support those with special needs. We really welcome your wisdom and your heart as well. So we hope you will come out and join us on the 16th. Thank you. Thank you. So, so Ray, you and Susan and Kim, who's watching from home today, um, are starting a group for people on a cancer journey. Talk to us a little bit about that. So we're calling it the cancer journey because when that doctor walks in that room and tells you you have cancer, it kind of changes courses for your life. And so um, Kim and myself and um, Sue, we're all in different phases of that journey. And so Lompoc really didn't offer anything for folks that are dealing with cancer. And so our church, which is awesome, 
that opens the door for the community is allowing us to meet in the Connections Building on once a month. And we're hope, our hope is and prayer is that we can connect with other cancer folks that are in the community. They're on different phases. We're all on different parts of this journey. And our hope is to share the love of Jesus, okay. to connect with them, to hold hands, share similar experiences. But I'm just so thankful that our church is, reaches, out of the, reaches outside of our walls, like for you. And it's, it's so awesome to be part of that. I, I just believe strongly that the Holy Spirit's going to be there. Um, we're not asking people to be in our church. It's open to the community. And our hope is, is that people will, will connect and really f- feel the love of Jesus, really, John. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. Guys, what I'm, what I'm just so, yeah. One of the things that, that is just such a joy to me is that there are parts of both of your stories that have caused moments of great pain. Um, but also moments of great breakthrough with Jesus. And you have just said, I'm, I'm going to let every part of my life shine the light of Jesus to someone who needs to see it. So, so incredibly proud of you. Church, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet because we're going to pray for these guys. Because nobody stands on their own at LFC and nobody steps into ministry alone at LFC. And so what I want you to see is I want you to see the body of Christ, your family, their affirmation, and their faith extended towards you as you guys step into really unknown territory. So would you just kind of stretch out your heart with your hand, and we're just going to pray a commissioning prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for the example of these four. God, their willingness to follow you by giving you their yes, even when they don't know exactly what that yes entails. God, this is an example to all of us. And so we pray for a unique and a powerful anointing on each and every one of them. God, we ask that you would stir the hearts of those who need to be co-laborers as well as the hearts of those who need to receive the ministry they have. God, when they grow weary, give them strength. Where they go troubled, grant them peace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, guys. We're so proud of you. Can I share two more things with you really quick? And then if, if you're one of the guys that like, hey, I want to get a jump start, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 6 in just a second. But there are two more things I want to share with you uh, before we get there. Uh, the first is this. Uh, in October of last year, uh, I shared with you that Pastor Bernie was going to be taking three months off. We, we agreed that, that it was a well-deserved break. The man had been working really hard for a long time. And I told you that he would be back at the beginning of January in a staff capacity, just jumping back on our team. Um, Pastor Bernie and Debbie met with Pastor Wendy and I and the council uh, last week, and he let us know that he had used those three months that he was off to really kind of seek the Lord and, and pray very intentionally. And what he had heard the Lord say, uh, he, he shared with us that he would not be returning to LFC, uh, that he felt like the Lord said, your season here is done. And so, um, though it's a bit of a surprise, we really kind of trust Pastor Bernie's discernment. We respect his ability to hear from the Lord, and we would never want someone to do anything other than what they feel the Lord is directing them to do. So uh, since I told you he would be back in January, and now he's told me that he isn't, I just felt that I needed to to share that with you. Um, So one other thing. Um, Last week, uh, as we were closing worship, um, we invited people who needed to see a miracle, needed to see God break through in an area of their life to come to the front, and and we were going to pray together. And I came into work on Monday, and there was an email waiting for me from a lady who was at our church for the very first time that Sunday. And she said, John, um, I got healed. I had Parkinson's. My hands were shaking. My hands aren't shaking anymore. And I'm like, that's amazing. How good is God? 
So I'm, I'm shooting off an email to our prayer team, like, guys, thanks for praying. This is kind of what God's doing because you guys are praying. And, and then I'm in a meeting on Wednesday, and, and, uh, and, and I'm excited. So I'm telling them, I'm like, hey, and this lady got healed on Sunday, and one of the guys in the meeting was like, oh, yeah, so I forgot to tell you. Sunday morning, I had lumps on my lymph nodes, and they disappeared. I'm like, what? That was my response. What? Like, why are you not telling me then? Um, but how good is God? He is, in fact, as Pastor Caden said, a miracle worker, and he has not stopped working. So, I, and guys, if God did something unique for you on that Sunday, shoot me an email. Let me know. We're your family. We want to celebrate together. Amen? Amen. God is good. Okay, so we're in this series called First Things First, and for the last two weeks, we've been talking about engaging God, spending time with Jesus in his word. I hope that's been fun and liberating and guilt-free for you. If you're like, Pastor, I only did it once, good job. You did it once. Don't be ashamed. I hope it was awesome, and I hope it gave you life. Keep pressing in. Uh, this week and next week, we're going to talk about meeting with Jesus in prayer. And what I want to talk to you about today is talking to God. And then next week, I want to talk to you about hearing from God, because conversations are a two-way street, right? If, if you're saying no, you're very unhappily married. I'll just tell you that right now. Conversations involve speaking and listening and then speaking and then listening. So we don't just want to learn how to talk to God. We want to learn how to, how to hear from God. But this morning, we're going to talk about talking to God. And we're, we're going to be in one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Matthew 5 through 7 is what's commonly been, been called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is one of Jesus' most amazing teachings. And what happens the chapter before is Jesus is going through Galilee and he's healing people. And he's casting demons out of people. And then he goes up on this mountain and he starts to preach to them. And he's preaching about what life in the kingdom of God is meant to look like and who, is, who the kingdom of God belongs to. And you need to know that he's been talking to a lot of really messed up people, kind of like you and me, um, at least like me. So he's been talking to some messed up people. He, he opens with something called the Beatitudes, which is this description of who the kingdom of God belongs to. And he's, he's telling these broken people who are trying to come close to God, the kingdom of God belongs to you. This is where he, he talks about the peacemakers and those who mourn and the, the meek, and, the, and he's like, you are who God is inviting into his kingdom. And he talks about love, and he talks about forgiveness. He talks about anger, and talks about generosity. And then in, in Matthew 6, he begins to teach his disciples how to pray. Like, guys, you get to talk to God. You don't have to go to the priest. Here's how you talk to God. And, and this passage of Scripture has been called the Lord's Prayer. Anybody ever heard that phrase, the Lord's Prayer? The Our Father. Some people call it the Our Father because that's how it starts. Our father. Um, I'm in like mid-elementary school, and I'm spending the night at Jeremy St. James' house, and it's time to go to bed. Um, he lives with his grandma. We have stayed up as long as we possibly could. We've, we've tried every trick in the book to stay up, but now she is committed. We are going to bed. So we're in Jeremy St. James' bedroom. He's on his bed. I'm on the floor because Jeremy's a jerk. No, no, just because it was his bed. And, and his grandma comes in to say goodnight, and she kneels down next to Jeremy's bed. And Jeremy gets down, and he kneels next to the bed. I'm like, oh, I don't get to get down because I'm already down. Uh, so I sit up, and I kneel next to the bed. And Jeremy and his mother start to say, or his grandma at the same time start to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I have no idea what they're doing. I mean, obviously they're praying, but I don't know this prayer. 
And so, you know, I do the same thing I do when they say, hey, let's all sing this song. I, and I don't know the words. I'm like, watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. If you're ever watching the worship team, and not here because these guys are dialed, but anywhere else, and, and like somebody looks like they're lost, they're probably saying watermelon. That's a trick of the trade. You're welcome. Um, so I'm just watermeloning until they get to the end, and I'm like, amen, because I knew that part. So I, like, I go home like, well, this, this was weird. Uh, I told my mom. So my mom taught me the Lord's Prayer. I figured I'm going to learn the Lord's Prayer so I am never embarrassed again. Not really the proper motivation for learning how to pray. When Jesus taught his disciples what we call the Lord's Prayer, he was giving them a picture of prayer. He was giving them a model of prayer. He was talking about some different things to include in a prayer as you talk to God. He wasn't saying this is the only prayer you pray. How do I know? Because it's the only time he prayed it, and Jesus prayed a lot. And if you read the other apostles, um, they prayed a lot, and they never prayed this prayer again, and yet all of their prayers included some of these components. So what I'm hoping to do this, this morning is I want to encourage you in some things that you can include in your conversations with God, and I hope they're helpful. And if, if, it's, if it feels like drinking from a fire hose, um, as you leave this morning, the ushers are going to hand you kind of a bookmark that's got all these things on it. And these aren't eight things that you have to do every time you pray. But there are some things that can frame our conversations with God. So when you sit down with your bookmark, I would just, you know, just kind of look at it and go, God, which of these do you want me to focus on this morning? All right? Awesome. I got an amen. Thank you, Jose. You got lots of energy today. You didn't play the drums. Like, woohoo! All right. Um, prayer. Prayer is not something super mysterious. And prayer isn't something super hard. Prayer is at its core this conversation with God. And you don't really have to learn the right way to talk to God if you know how to talk to people. When I was a a freshman in college, uh, one of the guys in my dorm was a guy named Trey. And uh, Trey's like, hey, John, we should start praying first thing in the morning every day. And I'm like, heck to the no. Um, How about in the evening? Because I sleep in the morning. And he's like, no, we need to start our day with prayer. I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's meet in my room, not because I was being generous, but because I didn't want to get out of bed. So he's like, all right. So he comes into my dorm room, and, and I lived on my own, but there were two beds in this room. I'm on one side. He's sitting on the bed on the other side, and we're going to pray. Now, I grew up in church. I know how to pray. Omnipotent creator of heaven and earth, he who are holy and present. And I mean, I know some really good church prayer words. And Trey's like this. He leans up against the wall. He's like, Hey, God, it's me, Trey. Morning. Hope you're having a good day. And, and he just keeps going like that. Like, hey, you know, I got a test, and, and I'm sitting on my side of the room going, what are you doing? That is like the most disrespectful thing I've ever, who talks to God like that? Well, Trey did. Uh, they had a super good relationship. Right before the passage that we're about to look at, Jesus says to his followers, he says, listen, don't make a huge deal out of prayer. Don't make a big production out of it. Don't try to get it all right and look really good doing it. The reason he said that is that the power of, in prayer is not in its length or in its volume, but in its attitude and in its content. Trey came to God with an expectation that God was going to come and meet with him. And so they would just talk together. Prayer is not meant to be a breaking news report. Have any of you decided 
at any point in time that you needed to give God the 411 on what was going on in the world around you? Like, God, my neighbor took my parking spot again. I need you to send the locust or the pl- one of the plagues from Egypt. God, my neighbor is throwing his dog doo-doo over my fence again, and I need fire to fall from. Like, we, we kind of start telling God everything that's going on as if he didn't know. But Jesus says to his disciples, he's like, look, guys, God knows what you need before you ever tell him. Let, let me show you where he has this conversation. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. When you pray, he tells them, he tells us, don't keep on babbling like pagans, right? It's not in the volume. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And then the part I knew, amen. All right. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. I'm going to give you eight things real quick. First of all, prepare to pray. What does that mean? Jesus says, forgive us as we have forgiven. Although Jesus says this at the end of the prayer, it is the beginning point of prayer. Forgiveness is a step of preparation that we need to take. Jesus expects us to come to a conversation with him, having already taken care of any kind of business, anger or unforgiveness we are feeling or dealing with toward other people. In Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, Jesus is telling a story. And he says, listen, if you're on your way to the temple, bringing your offering to the altar, and you realize on the way that your brother has something against you, drop your gift, go to your brother, be reconciled, and then come back and bring your offering to God. In other words, he is saying sometimes the horizontal, the relationship here, precedes the vertical. That if I try to go to God and have a conversation about something that's important to me, while I am out of step with my brothers or sisters, there is going to be a disconnect, and it's going to be hard for me to hear and respond to God. Sometimes I'm so focused on telling God what I need that I'm not giving the proper attention that I need to for what's going on around me. Take your fist. Go like this. If I'm going to put something in that hand, what do you have to do? you got to open it. You have to release the grip of your anger and forgive in order for your heart to be open and receive forgiveness yourself. The Bible says that, that we come to the throne of God to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. I can't receive grace and mercy if I am holding on to an offense or bitterness or unforgiveness toward something else. You can't take hold of something with a closed fist, and you can't pray with a closed heart. So Jesus is saying, guys, as you come to talk to God, take a look around and make sure that you're right with your wife, your kids, your coworkers. Is there anywhere where unforgiveness or bitterness is taking up room in your heart? Okay? Then this is how you should pray. Remember who you're talking to. Our Father who is in heaven. There are a not a lot. There are not a lot. There are a lot. That was my tongue doing whatever it wanted to do, irrespective of my brain. There are a lot of names for God in Scripture that Jesus could have pulled from and said, when you come to pray, call God this. 
But he says, as you pray, pray this way, our Father in heaven. Because how you see God has a tremendous impact on how you approach him. If you see God as a distant ruler, a dictator, an angry person, if you come to him at all, you're going to come with fear and trepidation. But if you see God as a heavenly father who actually loves you and is committed to your well-being, then you step into his presence feeling free and confident. And Jesus is saying, this is how we should come to God, with a sense of confidence. Now, some of us have had bad experiences with our fathers. And if that's your story, I'm really sorry. Some of us have had great experiences with our fathers. My children, for example. Just kidding. Uh, Well, wait a minute. Now I'm getting myself in trouble. As good a father figure as you may have had, he's not as good as your heavenly father, who loves you with a complete and a perfect love. And so when we come to God the Father, we need to come with the understanding that he is irrevocably committed to us, that there is nothing we can do to change his love for us. Jesus wanted people to understand the picture of the Father's love for them, and so he told them a story. He's such a good storyteller. But he told them a story that we have often called the story of the prodigal son. I like to call it the story of the loving and faithful father. Because the prodigal son is not the hero in the story, it's the father. And if you remember the story, the the youngest of two sons goes to the father and says, Dad, whatever my inheritance is, I want it now. Now, the Hebrew listener would have understood he had just gone to his dad and said, I wish you were dead, give me some money. And the father releases his inheritance to him, says he goes to a distant land where he squanders it all. One day he finds himself feeding the pigs. Now, if you remember how unclean pigs were for Jewish people, this is about the worst place he could possibly find himself. He's not only feeding the pigs, but he is sharing, he is fighting with the pigs for food. And he realizes, even the servants in my father's house eat better than I'm eating right now. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to throw myself at his feet. I'm going to beg him to retake me back as a servant so I can at least have some clothes and have some food. So he starts going back toward his father's house. And what is his father doing? He is looking down the road in the hope and expectation that his son might come back. Scripture says while he was a long way off, his father saw him. And if you remember the rest of the story, it's, it's the most irresponsible thing for a patriarch to do. He, he tucks his robes up and he goes running after his son. And he throws his arms around him. And he takes a ring off his hand and puts it on his son's hand. And he takes his robe and he puts it on his son. And he takes him home and he says, we're going to have a party because my son was lost and now he was found. There is nothing that you can do that will change God's love for you, that will make him no longer want to run to you as soon as you make just the inkling of emotion back toward him. This is the God that we are coming to in prayer, one who is not diminished by our failures, one who doesn't withdraw from us because of our failures, but one who is waiting for us to realize that healing from our failures is found in his presence. And as we take a step, he runs toward us. Jesus is saying, guys, when you come to talk to God, that's who you're talking to. That's why remembering who we're talking to in prayer is so important. All right, this is how you should pray. Trust God's character. Hallowed be thy name. Of all of the things that, like, stayed King James in the NIV, 
I was always like, why is hallowed and thy in my Bible? It's not in my NIV anywhere else. Hallowed means holy. Jesus is saying, as you are praying, pray, God, may your character be recognized as holy. Holy is other than, separate from. It's a way of saying God is perfect. There's a, there's a song we used to sing back in the day, uh, you are perfect in all of your ways. You give and you take away, but God, you are, you are perfect in all of your ways. And he's saying, because you're holy, God, I am, I am perfectly safe with you because everything that you do in response to my prayer is an expression of your perfect love. You can't do anything that isn't perfect and isn't good. So if you discipline me, it's love. If you heal me, it's love. If you give, it's love. If you take away, it's love. There is nothing impure in God's motives. So as I come to pray, remember that however God responds to my prayer is going to be the right response because God can only do good. It may not be the response that I expect. Anybody ever been there? May not be the, the response that I want. Anybody ever been there? But God cannot respond to me in a way that is not good because God is good. Not good like you're good, like sometimes. Or like me, maybe. God is the definition of good. So when I come to God in prayer, I'm saying, God, however you respond to this prayer, I'm going to trust that you're being good to me in this moment. All right, let's keep going. This is how you should pray. Check your posture. My dad, anybody else have a dad who used to say that all the time? Check your posture. Sit up straight. Sit. My dad was super good at that. Uh, put your shoulders back. You're going to look like this when you're 50. Guess what? I'm 50 and I look like this. He was not wrong. But when we're talking about prayer, check your posture means this. Pray, God, your kingdom come and your will be done. Who is guiding this conversation? And who is determining the outcome of the prayer? Whose purpose is being served? The temptation, right? I know this isn't just me. The temptation is to tell God in prayer what he needs to do. Like as soon as we finish with the news report, it's like, God, here's how you need to fix it. Um, if you would just have Wendy be a little more patient, a, a little more kind, a little more understanding about me leaving my underwear in the closet or my dishes in the sink, God, if you would just gift her with patience, then our marriage would be a beautiful example to the church and community of the work of God in our lives, right? That's what we want to do. That's not your kingdom come, your will be done. That's like, God, if I'm making a mess of this relationship, you need to fix me. It means I am saying to God, I am giving you permission to lead me, and I am committed to follow. The core of my prayer, God, is that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in my life, that you would rule my emotions, God, that you would govern my thinking, my decision-making as purely and as holy is that a word? It is now. As you do it in heaven. That's what it means to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. God, you have a plan for me. And if it means I need to call the pastor and say, hey, I've got two other people and we want to minister to people as they're wrestling with cancer, it means you do that. It means if you have a passion in your heart that God has put there, to care for people who have special needs and support their families. Even though you've never done it before, you're saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. I'm going to give you my yes, and I'm going to say that. This is what this kind of a prayer means. At the end of the day, God, I, wanted, I want to be able to say that I did what you put in front of me. 
All right. This is how you pray. Exercise your authority. I love this one. Jesus says, pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. Go to your father as a daughter he loves and say, Dad, here's what I need. I need you to do something for me. That's what this prayer is. Bread is a catch-all word that means meet all my needs. John, are you telling me that I should go talk to God and say, God, here's what I need. I need you to meet my needs. I need you to supply this for me. I need, I need to make my mortgage payment. I need, you're telling me, tell God to give me? That sounds a little arrogant. I mean, that, that sounds a little demanding. Talk to Jesus about it. He wrote it, right? He's, he's like, tell God what you need. Matter of fact, he says to people in another spot, he's like, guys, um, I don't want to burst your bubble here, but sometimes you don't have what you need because you are not asking for it. Snap! That part isn't in the Bible. I made that up. But this is what Scripture is saying. It has always been God's intention to respond to the prayers of his people with provision. When they were wandering around in the wilderness, they hadn't gotten to the promised land yet. They didn't have a temple. So what they did is God told them to construct something called a tabernacle, which was like a temporary temple. It was a giant tent. This is a replica of a tabernacle that's out in the desert in Israel. It's super cool, uh, actual size. And in the tabernacle, in, in all the way in the back, was a, an area called the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant rested and where the presence of God was. The presence of God, it says, dwelt between the, the wings of the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. And then there was a, a curtain that separated them because you couldn't get into where God was. But then the next place was called the Holy Place. And the Holy Place included three things. On the north side was what's called the table of showbread, S-H-E-W. And there were 12 loaves, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And God was making a statement that my people will always have a portion in my presence. What they need, I will always provide. And so there were always 12 loaves on that table. On the south side, there was a, a seven-branched lamp, a lampstand, a menorah, and it had... It had um, oil lamps lit on top 24-7. There was a priest whose job it was to stay in this holy place and make sure those lamps never went out, that the light of God was always available to God's people. And then right before the curtain that goes into the Holy of Holies, in the middle is the altar of incense. And incense was burnt. It was offered before the Lord 24-7. It was always going up. And that incense represented the prayers of the people of Israel. And God was painting a picture, making a prophetic statement to his people. One was that your prayers are not offensive to me. You are not nagging. They come up before me like a fragrant aroma, like incense. They are pleasing to me. Some guys are like, I don't want to talk to God about this. I'm nagging him. God's like, I just want to breathe it in. But the second statement is that there is provision for you. In response to your prayers, the table of bread. And there is revelation, there is direction available for you, the light of the menorah, in response to your prayers. Exercise your authority. Tell God what you need or what you need to know. And he'll respond. We'll talk about hearing him next week. About 50 of us went last Sunday night to Truvine. If you were there, was that fun or was that fun? So I learned something. Pastor, Pastor Cray is preaching. He's like, I got to finish up. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. So I got to go. Um, but what I learned is I got to go means I got 30 more minutes. I did learn that. I'm like, this brother's been saying that for a minute. Um, I got three more. I got to go. All right. This is how you should pray. 
Remove the roadblocks. Forgive us our sins. Because I began with a posture of freely extending forgiveness and grace to other people, I am now positioned to receive it myself. And because I know all sin produces death, I want to be free of it. And so I repent and I ask for forgiveness. Now catch this for a minute. God bakes this into our conversations with him. And he doesn't bake it into our conversations with him because he wants to make sure we have a moment with him where we feel guilty. He bakes it into our conversations with him because he knows that sin produces death, but he came to bring life. And so every time we come, he is prepared to extend forgiveness to us. And all we have to do to receive that forgiveness is ask for it. So he's like, John, I know you're a hot mess. And I know you're going to mess up day in, day out, week in, week out. So every time we have time together, I'm going to create space for you to receive forgiveness. Just ask me for it. I'm going to give it to you. I will tell you, there is rarely a time where I am in prayer or reading the word where part of my engagement with God does not involve me confessing sin. I'd like to say I've got this whole thing figured out and, and I don't sin anymore. My wife and kids would be like, nope. Probably not in this setting because they're very gracious and kind. I wrestle with everything you wrestle with. Like, newsflash, right? The core of my being, like, way down deep, I'm pretty dang selfish. I want what I want when I want it. And so there are these filters that I have to process through as I come to Jesus. And so almost every time he's shown me something in the word or in myself, where I just got to go, oh, man, Lord, I'm sorry that's there. I thought I had that beat, but maybe I don't. Would you please forgive me? Disciples don't justify their behavior. They repent and they ask for forgiveness. And then, cool story, they receive it. You don't have because you didn't ask. I don't feel forgiven. Have you asked God to forgive you? Well, no. It's embarrassing to talk about. Maybe for you, he was there when you did it. Thank you, Captain Obvious. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from what? All un- How much unrighteousness? All of it. Is there anything you can bring to Jesus? And he's like, well, I can't get that stain out. No. And so he bakes into our conversations a moment where I can talk to him about my failures so I can receive his grace and forgiveness. All right, two more. This is how you should pray. Ask for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Whoa, 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 John, slow your roll. Did I just read that I have to convince God not to lead me into temptation? Is that something he does unless I say, please don't? No, it is not. Thank you for asking. James 1.3 says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. When they are saying, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, that prayer is, God, guide the events of my day so I'm not caught off guard. Protect me. King David prayed the prayer this way. He said, God, trip the fowler's snare. Now, we don't talk like that. A fowler is someone who went out and caught fowl, birds. And he did it by having a hoop snare that the bird would put its foot in, it would catch it, and now he's stuck, he's trapped. And so David would say, God, in the course of my day, I know the enemy is laying out snares for me 
trip them, spring them before I get there. Like you and I might say, God, uh, trip the mousetrap before I put my foot in it. It's, that, that's basically what David's saying. I acknowledge that there is an enemy that is trying to bring me low, that is trying to keep me outside of the presence and the will of God, and so he's laid traps in front of me. Temptations, invitations to sin. So God, before I get to that trap, I need you to spring it for me. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what's common to man, meaning you're not special in regard to temptation. We all wrestle with it. Um, Jesus tempted three times in the wilderness. God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. God promises to make a way out. And so sometimes my prayer might be something like, God, I, I got to go into this conversation. I got to go meet with this person. I got to do this. I got to do that. There's something stirring in me that probably doesn't look a lot like you. So God, would you guard my heart? Would you guard my tongue? Would you give me wisdom and discernment to not say something I shouldn't say? Because the devil wants to sever that, sever that relationship. So, so he's going he's gonna to tempt me to say something to this person that I really want to say really want to say, but God's like, that's not helpful. That's what it means to say, lead us not into temptation. And here's the last one, because I got to go. Uh, 30 more minutes. No. <laughs> Honestly, it is the last one. This is how you should pray. This is how you wrap it up. Celebrate his power. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. Amen. As, as I conclude my prayer, I am reminding myself of God's power. Listen, God doesn't need me to tell him how awesome he is. He already knows. He already knows. But he also knows that there are moments that I need to testify to my own heart, my own mind, and my own spirit about the truth of God. And so I do that by saying, God, you are greater than any other God. God, there is nothing outside the scope of your control. God, you are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. You are omnipotent. There is not a thing you can't do. God, there is no power that has come against me that you can't defeat. I'm telling God something he already knows is true. He's not getting excited about it, but my spirit is starting to wake up. Amen? Anybody with me? Sometimes you just need to speak truth to your spirit. And so again, because Jesus is super smart, he puts it in the model of his prayer. And then he ends with the one part of the prayer I knew. Amen. Which is not like the super secret stamp you put on the end of it, and if you don't do it, Jesus won't. Amen simply means, let it be so. God, according to your will, let it be so. This is how you should pray. This is how you should pray. Here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. One day, maybe two days if you're like super adventurous. Sit down with this bookmark that you're going to get on the way out and spend some time talking to God. I have to talk out loud. Well, he can hear you in your head. So no, but sometimes I pray out loud because I need to hear it. Look at those eight things that are involved in this prayer and pick a couple to focus on. It may be forgiving. It may be asking for forgiveness. It may be talking to God about what you need. You may be like super dialed in. You may want to go through all eight. Great. I just, I'm not trying to put a burden on you. Like pray this way, get all eight steps every time. 
I'm just trying to give you some tools to have a really healthy and fun and engaging and mutual encounter with God. Because that's what it's about. We said as we began that at the name of Jesus, every head has to bow. Every knee has to bend. Every tongue has to confess. Sometimes when I'm praying, I just say the name of Jesus. It's like I got nothing else. Jesus. Everything I need that I'm feeling, that I'm afraid of, it all just comes out of Jesus. Some of the people we prayed for last week, I just came by, put my hand on them, and just said, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.